Well, uh, this class has had how many teachers? Six or seven teachers, I guess, over the over the history of uh, of the class, and uh, each one's been uh, a man of God who's opened the Word and has tried to teach us to live uh, for Christ more effectively, more fully. And if you're with us today and you're a visitor, we're glad you're here uh, for a holiday. The only seats that are really empty are the ones right here. And uh, so we're just glad you're here. What we do is we uh, open the Bible. We go down verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And we're in the book of Luke right now. So take your Bible and turn over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> We are exactly one half the way through the Gospel of Luke. Always the first half of a book takes a little longer because there's a lot of foundation material in it. And what we have in this section is that last week we saw how a crowd grew large and as a result of its size became dangerous and there was actually a stampede. Uh, among the crowd that was following Jesus. And Jesus uses that occasion to talk of, about the leaven of the Pharisees, which also grows and swells and has a negative effect on people. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Don't end up being a hypocrite like them. If that infects you, it's going to destroy you, just as a stampede can destroy human beings. And he says that, he describes leaven as greed. Uh, he talks about their greediness. They always want to head tables. They want to be recognized. They can never get enough of that. They want advantages that other people don't have. And he says, beware of the leaven and beware of the greed of the Pharisees. On the outside, they look okay, but they're hiding behind a mask. If you could strip away that mask, you would see darkness in their soul. So he says, watch out that greed and darkness doesn't overtake you. Now, in a similar vein, we pick up at verse 13. So the crowd's still there. And notice what it says. This is Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Then one of the crowd said to him, there's an interruption. Somebody from the crowd just speaks out, like Joey does. In our class. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> and one of the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance, meaning the family inheritance, with me. So, here Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, the eleven of the Pharisees. Somebody says, hey Jesus, I, uh, I need you to help me out. Here's the issue. My brother and I have inherited uh, possessions from my family. And I want you to tell my brother, he says, to divide the inheritance with me. So that's the scenario. This guy comes to Jesus for help. We uh, can make an assumption here that this is the younger brother. This is the younger brother. How do we know that? Because according to Jewish custom and according to the Old Testament, uh, the older brother was in charge of dividing the inheritance. And because he was the firstborn, he got twice as much as anybody else. So since there are two brothers here, he would get two-thirds and his younger brother would get one-third. And guess what? He hadn't even given the younger brother the one-third that he deserved. So this guy comes to Jesus and he says, I need your help. Now notice, he's not asking Jesus to be a mediator 
in the sense that I want you to uh, decide how much my older brother gets and I get. No, what he wants is Jesus to take his side. He says, and you can tell that by what he says. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's not saying, uh, hey, how much should he get? How much should I get? Can you be a mediator in this case? He wants Jesus to side with him. So that's what you have going here, okay? To be on his side. But, verse 14. So now we know what's going to happen, don't we? He, that's Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And the answer is, it certainly wasn't God. He didn't give me this job. This isn't my job. So, you know, what are you trying to do? Draw me into this. Now, Jesus is going to take that interruption, and he's going to teach a lesson. The lesson is found in verse 15. He said to them, notice that, plural, them. That's the crowd. So he takes this interruption, and now he's going to give a lesson to the crowd, and he says to them, Take heed, be on guard, watch out, beware of covetousness. Same word as the word greed a couple weeks ago. Beware of this insatiable desire to get more and never satisfied with what you have. So he says to the crowd, beware of covetousness. Why should they do that? He gives a reason. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. A person's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. Now, this is the mistake that most people make. Most people value their lives. They define their lives based on their possessions. And that's because the more possessions, the more wealth you get, that determines your rank and your status in society. So it's more than just owning things. It sort of defines who you are. Oh, there's a, he's a millionaire. Oh, there's a self-made man. There's a woman who's made it on her own. See? And so it defines you. And Jesus doesn't tell us what life consists of at this point, but what he does tell us is what life doesn't consist of. Look, it doesn't consist of possessions. It doesn't consist of your possessions. And so the person who says, he who has the most toys at the end wins, guess what? That's wrong. That's not what life's all about. If you think that's what life's all about, you've made a mistake. And so that's the lesson that Jesus wants to drive home. So just remember that because I'm going to come back here. The lesson is, life does not consist in the abundance of things that a person possesses. And now he is going to illustrate that. Look at verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. This man has a bumper crop. This is a farmer has a bumper crop. Now, the thing that you need to realize is that this farmer, in verse 16, is already a rich man. You see that? He's already a rich man. It's not that he's a poor farmer who has a bumper crop, and boy, I don't have to go bankrupt. This is a rich man who has a bumper crop. And so, verse 17 says, he thought within himself, saying, he asked a question, asked himself a question. What should I do 
Now that I've had this bumper crop, what should I do with it? Well, I can give him about 10 answers what he could do with these bumper crops. What would be one thing that he could do? I can give it to the church, that's right. He could give it away. He could give it to people who have need. You know what else he could do? Being a businessman, he knows, he knows something. I mean, if you hold your crop, then uh, the supply doesn't go into the market. So that drives prices up. He's not stupid. He could flood the market. Now if he flooded the market, then what would happen to the prices? It would go down and everybody could get something to eat. He doesn't do that. He's not thinking about the church. He's not thinking about needy people. He's thinking about himself. What can I do with this crop to increase my wealth, to make me feel better, to give me higher status? So that's the question that he asks. What shall I do with this crop, he says in verse 17, since I have no room to store my crops? Notice, there's no consideration of God in this. His consideration is only himself. So he says in verse 18, I will do this. He's having this little board meeting with himself. I will pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. I, me, my, me, you know, that's what I'm going to do for myself. And I will say, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What a comfortable nest egg. I can go on. I can retire at 59 now, 59 and a half, and I can just go on for the next 40 years, and I won't even have to consider anything else. I've got enough product that I can put on the market a little bit at a time, get the highest price, and I'm set for life. So he has this nest egg, and this is what he plans to do. Not concerned about his neighbor, not concerned about the poor, not concerned about the things of God. This is an example, by the way, of Jesus' lesson that life's, life does not consist of the abundance of things you possess. Here's a man who thinks it does. That's how he finds his life. He's just going to retire, and he's going to live the good life. He's going to buy that lakefront property, and he doesn't con isn't concerned about anything else. But, we always like that word, don't we? We always like the word yet or the word but. But God said to him, Fool, this night, not 40 years from now, this night, your soul will be required of you. And that uh, phrase, uh, required of you, I think even the pastor mentioned this a few weeks ago, a very interesting phrase. It's a banking phrase. And it means to call in a loan. Tonight, your life will be required or demanded of you. I'm, see, your life is not your own. Uh, God has just loaned you your life. Your life is on loan from God. And guess what? He can call in the loan anytime he wants. James like that. He's a banking man. <laughs> and God says, 
Fool, you're planning for the future. <laughs> Your life's being required of you right now. I'm calling in the loan. The Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. Mm -hmm. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Not one of us can add one day to our lives. And so what this man does is he has not put God in the equation, and therefore God calls him a fool. And you know from Proverbs 1 that the fool says in his heart there is no God. And Jeremiah says the fool is the person who doesn't put God into the equation. So he thinks he's got his whole life together. He's finally got his retirement. It's built up to the point where he can live comfortably. And God says, that's foolish. Those kinds of plans are foolish. Your soul will be required of you tonight. Now look at the end of verse 20. God asked a question. Then, whose will those things be which you have provided? Then, after you die, who's going to get all the crops? Who's going to get all the money? Who's going to get all the resources and the possessions? And he doesn't tell us who, but one thing we do know, it's not him. Would you agree with that? It's not him. Now remember the context. The context is Jesus is interrupted by a young man who wants an inheritance. And his older brother won't give it to him. He wants Jesus to say, well, I want it now, right? You know, his older brother could be dead by the end of the day, couldn't he? He might not make it past midnight, and guess who gets it all? The younger brother. See, this guy wants to manipulate. He wants the teacher to get on his side. He wants to do it his way. He's trying to force it. He's not putting God in the equation. And so, this guy could die, this farmer, and someone else would get his entire wealth. So, the context is the younger brother, and the lesson is, your life doesn't consist of the things you possess. And that's what this man thought, and he made a mistake. So now we come to a conclusion. Look at verse 21. Now this is another lesson. This is very important. This is as important as verse 15. Jesus says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, the moment we are rich toward ourselves and we're not rich toward our God, toward God, and we think our life consists of our possessions, we make a major mistake and we find ourselves soon in trouble. And I don't care who it is. You may have saved $5 million for retirement fund. And if you weren't careful, half of that money is wiped out today in this past year. And you thought you had it all together, and guess what now you're doing? Now you're trying to find a part-time job. Now you're wondering where you can cut back before you were going to buy a new car. Now you're not going to do that. You see, because you had it all under control. But it wasn't under control. You had piled up for your retirement, in this case, to eat, drink, and be merry, and live a pretty good life. But you need to keep God in that equation, because you never know when he'll call in the loan. Now look at verse 22. He says, 
Let me read 21 again. So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Look at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now notice this. How his attention switches. Switches from the crowd now to his disciples. Just his 12. Just those that are following. Maybe a few others that are disciples of his. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, notice that, based on the lessons just taught, you need to learn something, okay? Therefore, I say to you, you who are Christians, do not worry about your life. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. The rich man worried. The young brother, worried. Jesus said, stop worrying about your life. The way you define life, which is possessions. Notice what he says. Stop worrying about your life. And he defines it. What do you eat? What sustains your life? Nor about your body. What you put on. What you wear. Don't worry about food don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about your needs being met. Why not? Because, verse 23, life is what? More than food. The body is more than clothing. You see, most people have what we call a minimalist view of life. They uh, distill life down to possessions. And Jesus says, you've got such a small view of life. You've, you've missed the point. Life is more than what you eat. Life is more than what you put on. Life is more than possessions. Life is more than riches. And look at verse 24. He's going to illustrate this. Now remember, the lesson in verse 22 to his disciples. Don't worry. Stop worrying. That's, that's the action that he wants you to do. Stop worrying. Life is more than those things. Just stop your worrying. Stop being anxious. Stop being fearful. Okay? Now here's the illustration. Verse 24. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow, they're not like the farmer, nor do they, they don't plant a harp, uh, crop, nor do they harvest the crop. They don't sow, nor do they reap, which have neither a storehouse nor a barn. They don't own a storehouse, and guess what? They don't even own a barn. Those ravens. And God feeds them. God takes care of the ravens. Now, the ravens are birds of prey. They're scavengers. That means they're unclean. God takes care of unclean birds. Last week, he took care of the sparrows. Remember that? They were pretty clean birds. They were birds that could be offered as sacrifices. But unclean birds? Yeah, God even takes care of an old unclean raven. You know what a raven is. Edgar Allan Poe, the raven. Remember that? Black as a raven's wing. Okay. Now watch what he says at the end of verse 24. He's going to drive this point home. 
of how much more value are you than the birds? Now I've heard it said, he's for the birds. <laughs> you know? But the truth of the matter is, <laughs> you're much more valuable. Would you say you're, you know, a little bit more valuable than a raven? <laughs> or would you say you're much more valuable than a raven? And the answer, of course, is you're much more valuable than a raven. So what would be the implication? That if he takes care of a filthy, dirty, old bird of prey, won't he take care of you? And the answer is yes. So what are you worrying about? What are you worrying about? You see? Now, look at the next verse. Look at verse 25. It's a question. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Which one of you can uh, add an inch to his height? You can do that. Can you add an inch? Now, I didn't say stretch you out and get your back straight. Can you add an inch to your life? And the answer is, no one can do that. I had a man once I was interviewing for a job a number of years ago. A guy asked me how tall I was. And I said, well, I'm 6'1". He said, great. He said, I was glad you didn't say you were six foot. And I said, why? He said, because then you'd been 5'11". Everybody that's 5'11 says they're 6 foot. He says they always add an inch to their life. He said, I found people that are 5'11 the biggest liars in the world. <laughs> so, I didn't agree with the statement, but I was glad I was 6'1. I didn't take that job. <laughs> the answer is look, how about if you're 5'11 and you want to be 6 foot? A lot of people like that. You say, boy, I wish I could just be six foot. And guess what? I'm sorry you can't. So stop worrying about it. Just accept where you are. Accept the way God's made you. you see? So you can't do that. So stop worrying. See? Now look at verse 26. If then you're not able to do the least, you know, a measly inch, why are you anxious for the rest? If you couldn't add an inch to your height, what would you worry about having all your needs met for the rest of the years of your life? Why are you anxious about this? Why are you worrying about this? And this is even Christians. Christians, we act like we're atheists. We don't put God in the formula here when it comes to our possessions and our wealth and our needs being met and all these kinds of things. Now look at verse 27, he's going to give us a second illustration. Okay? Here he says, consider the lilies. How they grow. How do they grow? They neither toil nor spin. So now he goes from the animal kingdom, the ravens, to the vegetation kingdom. Look, I've never seen a lily say, I have to get up more eight hours a day. Oh, man, it's going to be a hard day's work. And it's raining outside. I hate working outside. I want an inside job. You never see them do that. You never see a lily say, it's Easter. Finally, I'll be in that church building. I'll be an Easter look. They don't do that. They don't worry about where they are, what they're, how they're going to be fed. How is a lily fed out in the field somewhere? How does it get fed? I haven't fed them. 
Why are there lilies everywhere? You know, what, how, they don't worry about any of this. They don't worry how they're going to look, how they're going to get fed, any of that. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither twirl nor spin. And then in, in the verse 27, he says this. He says, And yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like a lily. Now, he uses Solomon because Solomon was the richest man who ever lived. Even Solomon, the richest man, who, even Warren Buffett, even, you know, you name the richest people that you can think of, and the way they live, and you look at it, and you're a little envious, and you're covetous, and you're greedy, and you say, I wish I had that. Hey, lilies look better than that. All that stuff's just going to fade away. So anyway, he says, lilies don't worry. They just are lilies. Okay. Now look at verse 28. If then God so clothes the grass, and probably a reference to the lilies that grow over the grass and he makes the grass look beautiful, or <coughs> which are here today in the field and tomorrow are thrown into the oven. They're just fuel for the fire. How much more will he clothe you. Now, if he feeds a lily, uh, if he feeds a raven, how much more will he feed you? If he clothes a lily, how much more will he clothe you? And the answer is what? Well, I guess it depends on whether you put God in the picture or not. The answer should be a lot more. But if you don't put God in the picture, then you have to feed yourself and you have to clothe yourself. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. And then he says this right at the end of verse 28. <clears throat> he says, Oh, you. Now remember, he's talking to his disciples. Oh, you of little faith. See, humans are the only ones of God's creation that don't depend on God. Even a raven depends on God. Even a lily depends upon God. Vegetation, animals, we're the only ones that don't. We have so little faith that we have to say, Oh, what am I going to do with my crops now? I don't even have enough room for them. Well, you could give them away, couldn't you? Oh, that's not an option. If I do that, I won't be taken care of tomorrow, so I'll tear down my barns and I'll build new ones and I'll oh, finally be able to rest for the entirety of my life and just eat, drink, and be merry, you fool. Jesus, tell my brother to give me what he owes me. I need it now. Well, you couldn't get by yesterday, huh? You didn't get by today? Oh, you need it now? You don't need it now. You want it now. So this is what Jesus is trying to get across to us, that we have very little faith. What animals and flowers, not only how flowers operate <laughs> in any sense, but they're just built into their DNA, a faith factor. It's built into our DNA, but we suppress it. And we keep God out of the picture for some reason. Then look what he says. <clears throat> look at verse 29. 
Now this is the next, I guess I wouldn't call it the next lesson, but it's certainly the lesson being repeated. And do not seek what you should eat. Now this is radical teaching. You know, we've dealt with the Gospel of Luke before, how radical it is. And I don't even say anything, I just read it usually. And it's radical. Now look what he says. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink. That means don't worry about your needs. Look. Nor have an anxious mind. Don't worry about necessities of life. Why not? Why shouldn't we worry? Because all these things the nations of the world seek after. Or, to put it in a more understandable way, all these things the Gentiles seek after. This is how people who don't have a knowledge of God act. They say, oh, I have to get, to, I have to get this, I need this, I need this. And they're so worried. I was listening to a radio program this morning, 6 o'clock this morning, about uh, interviewing people. And they were people who were just you know, living on life's edge. And they said, I have to work two jobs, and I have to do this, and I have to do that, and to take care of this, and to take care of that. And they were anxious. See, that's how lost people act. And it was very interesting. In the middle of the interviews, they had another woman who was just barely subsisting. And they, the guy said, well, how do, you, how do you take care of this? She said, I just trust the Lord. Now, she wasn't capricious. She wasn't stupid. She was just like the other people being interviewed. She was a person that was just living on life's edge. She said, but, you know, the Lord's good. You know, he'll provide this. He'll provide a car. Somebody will give me this. Somebody will do it. And that's the Lord. Now, just imagine. She didn't care how she got her wheels. The Lord provided her the wheels. Now, how about she said, well, I'd have to make 16000 to get myself a little, you know, Mustang. Well, she could have worried about that. She could have taken a third job. And, but guess what? The Lord provided. Now, there's a difference. And this is what Luke wants to, to, us to see. Now, keep on going down the passage. <clears throat> Don't be anxious for these. Now, look at verse 30. Verse 31. That's how the nations do it, he says in verse 30. That's how unsaved people do. They seek after this. But look at the end of verse 30. And your father knows that you need these things. Now, look at the beginning of verse 30. <clears throat> All these things, look at the end of verse 30. These things, do you see that? Watch, beginning of verse 30. The lost people seek after these things. Now watch the end of verse 30. But your father knows you what? Need these things. And the implication is that he'll take care of them. You see, that's the implication, that he will take care of this. So if your father knows that you need this, now watch this. If he is aware, remember that's been one of the lessons in the past two weeks. God is aware of things. Nothing bypasses his scrutiny. He knows what your condition is. What's he called there in verse 30? God or is he called Father? Oh, he's called Father. Is he called the, fa the Father or is he called your Father? Oh, he's called your Father. Your Father knows that you need these things. So God is your father, and he knows you need these things. Now, if God knows you need these things, why would you worry one whit? Why would you worry about anything? 
unless you don't trust God. Oh, well, I know he knows I, I need these things, but I still have to. Oh, you have little faith. Big effort, little faith. See? And Jesus says God is our Father, and he knows that we need these things. He's aware of our needs. And look at verse 31. But here's what you're to do. Here's what God knows. Now here's what you're to do. But seek the kingdom. Now look at the beginning of verse 30. What do the nations seek? Things. Remember the lesson back in 15. Life consists more than things. If you define your life by your possessions and by your things, and you think that's going to determine your status and your worth and what people think of you, well then you're acting just like the heathen nation. But God knows you need those things, so don't worry. Well, well, then, okay, then I won't worry. What should I be giving my life to? Well, here it is, 31. Seek the kingdom of God. Now, he doesn't define what that is at this point. But we know from other passages that it involves the will of God. It means serving God. It's acting on God's behalf. It's telling others about God. It's doing God's will. You just be concerned about doing God's will. And then what does he say in verse 31? And all these things will what? Oh, they'll be added to you. So it's just like I'm a father. I raise three kids. I say to them, you know, just be good kids. Obey me. And guess what? You do that? You don't have to worry where breakfast is coming from tomorrow morning. Who's going to take care of it? I'm going to take care of it. Why? Because I'm your father. <laughs> I brought you into the world. I'm just concerned about you doing right. And just leave your clothes and your school supplies and your food and whatever you need to me. And guess what? I'm not a perfect father, but I met my kids' needs. How about the heavenly father? He knows what you need. Will he meet your needs? Or do you think God is impotent? And anxiety is omnipotent. Hey, anxiety is omnipotent. It has no power to add one inch to your height. It has no power to add anything <coughs> to your plate. Worry. Anxiety. But if you put your faith in God, all these things, does it say that? Will be added. All these things will be added. How many? All these things. Not some of these things. All these things will be added. He'll be added to your plate. will be added to you. I mean, that's pretty good. So, stop worrying. Now, notice in verse 32, here's what he says. Do not fear, little flock. Still talking to his disciples. Look at this. Do not fear, little flock. Before he said, do not worry. So, here you see worry and fear equal the same thing. To worry is to be fearful. To be fearful is to worry. Oh, what if? This is what I call the what if factor. What if? But if I don't do this, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if? You all know people who have the what if syndrome, don't you? I grew up with people like this. And I've been around people like this. The what if never happens. Or rarely does it happen. And even if it happens, there's nothing you can do about it. Okay? So... Worry equals fear. So he says, don't fear, don't worry, little flock. 
in verse 32. Stop saying what if, just trust God, in other words. Because it is your father's, this is the reason why you're not to worry and why you're not to fear. Because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now notice this, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, we've already been through the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Okay. Give us this day our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your, our daily what? Will he do it? It's his good pleasure. It's not like he begrudgingly does it. He wants to do it. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, ultimately, the kingdom is paradise restored when there is more than enough. That's when you can sort of sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. When the kingdom comes. Until that time, God provides our needs right now. And you don't have to worry at all. Not at all. Now, in light of that, what should you do? Now look, here's my advice to every person in the president's class. Sell what you have and give alms. <laughs> Sell what you have and give alms. But I didn't laugh at that, did I? You laughed when I said it, but Jesus said it. I wonder if they laughed at Jesus when he said it. So my bottom line is this. Sell what you have and give up. Isn't that what it says? Oh, I'm, I read it wrong. I'm sorry. Look at verse 30. Sell some of what you have and give up. That's right. Isn't that what it says? Sell some of what you have. I See, I, mis I misread. No wonder you laughed at me. It was supposed to be sell some of what you have and give up, wasn't it? Oh, no. No, I did read it right. Sell what you have. And I guess that means all that you have. And give alms. And you know, you do that, guess what? If you do that, you'll have to depend upon the Lord. He'll have to take care of your needs. If you do what you're supposed to do, sell what you have and give alms, then he'll do what he can do. But you have to do what you can do. See? So, this is a challenge. And I think this is a challenge, one of those challenges where we are told that we can test God and he'll come through, he'll pass the test. If we sell our goods and, because, see, life isn't, if you really believed that life consisted more of possessions, you'd do it. Possessions aren't anything. Uh, and you just would trust the Lord, you would do this and you would take care of people and you would give your alms and so would I. Sell what you have and give alms. And here's what you're to do for yourself. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. Well, I don't know what that means. Because, see, I've got a money bag right here, and it's called a wallet. And you women have purses. Some translations say purses. But it's growing old. It will decay. The stitches are going to come out. And that's a pretty decent wallet. But it's going to grow old. And he tells us, hey, you need to get a money bag or a wallet or a purse that doesn't grow old in verse 33. And he defines that as a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Well, how do you get a treasure in heaven that does not fail? 
I know one thing, if I could get my treasure in heaven, it wouldn't grow old. Uh, the purse that holds it, whatever kind of purse is up there, it wouldn't decay, it wouldn't get old, and the treasure wouldn't fail. The markets fail down here, but guess what? There was never a stock market crash in heaven. See, the treasure in heaven never fails. Now look what it says. Treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches. See, thieves can go into banks and rob them. And no moth destroys, eats it up. You see that commercial with all that millions of dollars in that one commercial? And termites. termites eat it all up? Uh -huh. it doesn't, they don't have termites in heaven. It's not like Texas. It's an amazing place. It's not like Louisiana. So uh, what he's saying is the way we put treasures in heaven is by giving alms. That's how you lay up your treasures in heaven, by the giving of alms. Now look at verse 34. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So is your treasure in the giving of alms, in kingdom affairs, or is your treasure in human affairs? Now how do you do this? How do you sell all you have and give it to the poor? Uh, well, I guess you do it literally. He's not giving, this isn't a metaphor, this isn't a, an allegory. I think that uh, Jesus would say this, sell what you have and give alms. He said, now which part of that sentence don't you understand? Is it the sell <laughs> or is it the give? Uh, I think it's literal. See? So we have a choice to make, a real choice. We can keep for ourselves and look out for number one and store up in barns for a future day, but it might get stolen. The stock market might go south. Or we could die tonight. And then all that that we've saved for, <coughs> it goes to somebody else. Or we can give to others. We can sell what we have and give it to others and meet other people's needs. And then trust God to take care of our needs. And then when we get into heaven, there'll be a great reward, a great treasure in heaven. So we are to put God to the test and trust him. Now, how do you do that? You know, I've, given you, I've given you the lesson. I don't think I twisted anything here. Okay. How do you do it? I'm going to tell you how to start. You can start by tithing. Now watch this. If I give 10% away, then I have to trust God to make up for that 10%. Is that correct? That's a start. I would still say it's a little faith, but it's a start. And then how about if you increase it to 11%? Then you'd have to trust God to take care of the, make up 11%. See? Notice how the possessions are leaving your hands. And each time you're having to trust more. You know, R.G. Letourneau, the school's named after Letourneau, he eventually gave 90-some percent of his wealth away. And just lived on 10%. So, guess what? <coughs> lived on 10%, gave 90% of it away. Lived like an ordinary person. Had to trust God for anything that he needed that was beyond his needs. Now, you say, has anyone ever given it all away? Anybody ever do what Jesus did? Well, Jesus did. Jesus didn't have anything. 
He didn't have a place. He didn't have a bed to lay his head on. Every time he laid down, he had to borrow a bed. And I've been in someone else's bed. I was in a, one of those number beds this weekend where you push the buttons and select number. I did not I mean I was going to 80 and 40. And I, I never got comfortable. Uh, because it wasn't my bed, I had to borrow it. Every night of Jesus' life, he borrowed a bed. He had to depend upon people. He had to depend upon people giving them things in order to have their needs met. Did anybody else ever do any of this? Oh, the apostles. Lord, we've given it all to follow you. Remember when they said that? They just walked away from everybody. Every martyr throughout history has done that. You see, this story is not just about giving. Remember the context that we've talked about in the past couple weeks is the persecution's coming. And he said, watch out because they killed the prophets in the past and they will kill God's spokespeople even today. And he's talking about persecution. Remember when he said, if you deny me before men in the courts, I'll deny you. Remember when we talked about all that? This is all done in light of persecution. You see, if you're holding on to possessions and that's what you feel that your life is all about, what you have, then when persecution comes and you are hauled before the courts and they say, if you don't deny Christ, if you don't compromise, we're going to take away your property. Oh, I can't do that. I'd lose that. And guess what? Then you'll compromise. Then you'll deny Christ. See? But, or we'll take away your life. But, if you don't own anything, <laughs> and uh, your life is on loan, they can say, we'll take your property, we'll take your family, we will take your life. And then guess what you do? You say, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. You see, this is a lesson. That we need to learn in good times. Because when the bad times are coming. If your possessions possess you. Then you'll deny Christ. Hard lesson. One of the hard teachings in the gospel of Luke. We'll pick up at verse 35 next week. Father we thank you for a very difficult passage. One that uh, we each need to deal with in our own lives. All of us are so wealthy and we act like atheists sometimes Lord we we are like the Pharisees we mouth words we give you a tip we but we're hiding behind the mask deep in our heart there's covetousness and we we want more and uh, it makes us feel good to have more and we worry whether more is even enough and then we need more than that and then we Worry if a million's enough, and then we need more than that. Oh, Lord, help us to get out of that vicious cycle. Help us not to be fearful people. Help us to realize that you are a heavenly Father who has great pleasure in meeting our needs. Help us to be people of great faith, not little faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.